happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. U.S. soldier Travis King back in American custody following roughly two months in North Korea. We have the latest on the development. Senator Bob Menendez pleads not guilty to corruption charges. The New Jersey senator was in federal court today as calls for his resignation grow. Dr. Anthony Fauci accused of visiting CIA headquarters to influence the COVID-19 origins investigation. A congressman wants to ensure accountability. Republican congressman probing an electric vehicle caravan trip taken by the Energy Department. The trip was meant to promote President Biden's electric vehicle push. Mexico says it'll deport immigrants back to various Latin American countries. We show you how the immigration crisis is hurting the Mexican economy. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, U.S. soldier Travis King is back in U.S. custody following two months in North Korea. U.S. officials confirmed the news today after Pyongyang announced plans to expel him. King was in custody after fleeing from a South Korean tour group into the demilitarized zone in July. Information on his release is limited. North Korean state media said King spoke about mistreatment and discrimination in the U.S. military, but his mother said he had no motivation like that to defect. The Pentagon has said it can't verify the claims one way or the other. Senator Bob Menendez pleads not guilty to corruption charges. The New Jersey senator and his wife arrived at a federal court in Lower Manhattan today. Menendez is charged with three counts for allegedly taking bribes to use his political power to help the government of Egypt obtain military aid. He is also accused of pressuring a state prosecutor investigating New Jersey businessmen and attempting to influence the federal prosecution of a co-defendant. One of the three men involved in the case pleaded not guilty yesterday. The senator is facing growing calls for his resignation from fellow Democrats. He has been adamant that he will be cleared of the charges. A government shutdown may be on the way, but officials say it won't stop the impeachment inquiry against President Biden. Republican lawmakers and aides say the GOP-led committees heading the impeachment inquiry will be deemed essential if the government shuts down at midnight on Saturday. However, a lapse in federal funding could present logistical challenges. That's because committees will be seeking information from government agencies where many employees will be furloughed, making issuing subpoenas and hauling in witnesses for hearings more complicated than usual. Last week, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy warned a shutdown would slow House Republicans' efforts to build their case for impeaching Biden. But some of the holdouts are undeterred, expressing confidence their investigations could continue uninterrupted. Sources say the House Administration Committee will send formal guidance about what to do during a shutdown, and Democratic Committee staff will reportedly hold a briefing today about what to expect. As the legal battles of the Trump and Biden families rage on, we hear the latest about this American epic from former federal prosecutor Will Scharf. He's also a Republican Attorney General candidate from Missouri. Will Scharf, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, as always. Well, House Oversight Chair James Comer just said he subpoenaed and obtained two bank wires that show Hunter Biden received two payments from Beijing in 2019. 
Comer said the beneficiary address was President Joe Biden's Delaware home. How does this factor into the ongoing impeachment inquiry into the president? Yeah, Joe Biden has maintained, going back to the 2020 election, uh, that his family didn't receive any money from China and that he never uh, discussed or was involved with, uh, with the various business relationships that, that Hunter, his son, had. Uh, these wire transfers first show that the Biden family did, in fact, uh, receive money from China, which we already knew based on other documents. Uh, but also the fact that they were directed to Joe Biden's personal address raises serious questions about President Biden's honesty and uh, serious questions about what he knew and when about the money that his family was receiving from China. Now let's turn to Trump. A New York judge just ruled that former President Trump committed fraud while building his real estate empire. Explain this ruling to us. Sure. So Attorney General Letitia James, the Democrat Attorney General of New York, uh, brought this action against President Trump for alleged fraud in, uh, in various real estate transactions that he made over his long career. Uh, based on statements that he made about the valuations of certain properties that he and his businesses owned. Uh, Attorney General James has never identified anyone who was damaged or hurt by this alleged fraud. Uh, what the judgment yesterday is really about, it's a, a single judge in New York has deprived President Trump of his right to a trial, has essentially said that these issues are open and shut, and has made just absurd statements about the valuation of some of President Trump's properties, uh, claiming, for example, that Mar-a-Lago uh, one of the, the signature real estate properties in the world that could easily be worth over a billion dollars uh, should have been valued at a mere 18 million. I think this decision doesn't hold up. I think it's an outrageous abuse of judicial power, and I'm sure President Trump's lawyers will file a vigorous appeal in the coming days. And what could that appeal look like? What could it be based on? So that appeal will be taken up to the appellate division uh, of, of the New York courts. The appellate division has actually already smacked down uh, this particular trial judge in a previous order in this case. So I think President Trump is going to end up having his day in court. But what we're seeing here is a far-left Democrat attorney general uh, attempting to railroad President Trump in front of a very, very favorable liberal judge in New York. And that's just not the way our legal system is supposed to work in this country. It's a very sad day for those of us who care about the rule of law. Talk to us, refresh our audience about Letitia James. She ran, I believe, on uh, getting Trump. Yeah, that was a big part of her campaign. She said she was going to get Trump, uh, but they haven't found anything that he did wrong. Uh, so what they've done over the last uh, four years now is string together this case uh, based on statements that President Trump made. Again, they have not identified anyone who suffered any financial damage from these statements all of the people who were lending President Trump money at this point have basically testified, saying that these were good loans, they were paid on time. The idea that there's any sort of culpable fraud in these valuations that were all accompanied by ample disclaimers, it just doesn't fly in the context of New York law and the context of the way these cases are normally prosecuted. And that speaks to me of a real double standard, where President Trump is being held liable for things that no other American would ever be held liable for. Well, Sharf, thank you again. Great to be with you, as always.
Mexico deporting immigrants. The Mexican government says it'll send people back to various Latin American countries. This comes amid economic losses due to the immigration crisis. Mexico announcing new measures to tackle the immigration crisis. First, the Mexican government says it'll deport immigrants from cities on its border with the United States back to various Latin American countries. The government didn't specify when the deportations will start or how long they will last. Earlier this week, House Republican Tony Gonzalez of Texas said we shouldn't rely on other nations to solve the border crisis. If we're going to rely on Mexico, there was just this deal. If we're going to rely on Mexico to handle our immigration system, I'm very concerned with that because they're, they've failed in every aspect. You just look at the, the fentanyl crisis. Me Mexico has not helped us in this, in this area, so we can't allow, allow on other countries to handle our national security. Secondly, Mexican authorities will try to stop people from risking their lives trying to hitch a ride on cargo trains. Immigrants do that to reach the U.S.-Mexico border. A major Mexican rail company says it's seeing an unprecedented surge in deadly attempts by immigrants to hitch rides. This video has been circulating on social media. It shows immigrants heading toward the U.S.-Mexico border. The rail company says they saw nearly half a dozen cases of injury or death just in recent days. Meanwhile, an estimated $1 billion worth of goods been stranded at the U.S.-Mexico border. This comes as U.S. authorities have shut down crossings and imposed extra security checks amid an increase in immigration. Trucks are stranded for 12 hours, 24 hours, or over 30 hours because there is a second truck inspection after crossing the border in the state of Texas. About 8,000 trailers are waiting to cross into the U.S., sparking concerns in Mexico because the delay could affect their economy. Also, billionaire Elon Musk said he will visit Eagle Pass, Texas later this week. Illegal crossings in the small border town have skyrocketed in recent weeks. Musk wrote, they're being overwhelmed by unprecedented numbers, just hit an all-time high and still growing. I'm going to visit Eagle Pass later this week to see what's going on for myself. Musk says he spoke with Representative Tony Gonzalez before scheduling the visit. Two House Republicans are investigating a road trip by Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. She organized an EV caravan to promote the Biden administration's electric vehicle push. Reports say that the taxpayer-funded road trip devolved into chaos. NPR reported trip participants struggled to find enough chargers for the various electric vehicles in the Energy Department entourage. The report says an advanced team traveled ahead of Grand Home's convoy to search out charters. At one of the stops, an Energy Department employee reportedly blocked a family from accessing a charging station on a hot day while they had a baby on board. The family eventually called the police. Congressman James Comer and Pat Fallon asked the Energy Secretary to turn over documentation about the trip. NTD reached out to the DOE and Ms. Granholm for comment. We are still waiting for a response. Dr. Anthony Fauci is accused of visiting CIA headquarters to influence the COVID-19 origin investigation. Congressman Brad Wenstrup is bringing the allegations. He chairs the subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. A whistleblower earlier accused the CIA of working to distort the conclusions of its own COVID origin study. They say the CIA offered to pay six analysts to label the lab leak theory as inconclusive, 
Wenstrup also points to the Proximal Origin paper, an article that promoted the idea the lab leak theory was false. Multiple government agencies promoted the report. The House Oversight Committee says Fauci was involved in prompting the paper and reviewing it. Wenstrup now seeks all documents and communications related to Fauci's access to CIA facilities and its employees. Wenstrup says evidence is growing that federal government officials covered up the origins of COVID-19. He adds that investigations will ensure future accountability not only of the intelligence community, but also public health officials. Coming up, a California business owner is fed up after being robbed three times. We hear from him as he joins a protest in Oakland demanding better crime control. And Google's 25th anniversary, how the company became so successful, both in organizing searches and in influencing public opinion. We'll have more on that when we return. Welcome back. Las Vegas hospitality workers vote to authorize a strike. It could impact over three dozen casinos and hotels and would be the first such strike in decades. The Culinary Workers Union didn't set a date for a walkout. It is still bargaining for more pay and benefits with employers on the Las Vegas Strip. The Culinary Workers Union is the largest labor union in Nevada. It represents 60,000 workers. Contracts for 40,000 of its members recently expired. The union will continue to hear offers from Las Vegas employers MGM Resorts International, Caesars Entertainment, and Wynn Resorts. The union's spokesperson did not reveal what pay raises the union is seeking, but the union said it's looking for the largest ever pay raise for its members. About 100 business owners protested in Oakland, California yesterday, demanding that the city do something to address crime. NTD's Andrew Thomas has one local's take on the problem. Heinous Haile has been running heavenly heating and air in Oakland, California since 2018. He's had three work vehicles stolen in the past five years. I didn't have a storage yet at the time. Van got stolen, downtown Oakland, Courtyard Marriott, uh, parking lot. They let me see the video, car came in, guy gets out of the passenger seat, busts out the passenger door lock, hops in the van, 30 seconds, he's gone. Each time, Haile had to immediately replace stolen pieces of equipment to keep his contract jobs. He also lost a laptop. Maybe a month later on Clay Street, right by the state building, van gets stolen again, daytime. And uh, this time they take everything. They took the catalytic converters, they had four of them. They took all the material, screws, tape. Like, they took everything, like cleaned it out. Like, it made me think they had a shop or something. Haile showed off his tools and described how the cost of the stolen items adds up. These are 40 bucks. You know, so it's like every time they steal something, you know, it's like 180 bucks, a screw kit, you know. Every time they hit us, it's thousands of dollars, you know. Haile said he's lost hope in the Oakland city leadership. Instead, he relies on himself and finds a way to persevere, despite the local government's failure to rein in crime. In all honesty, when something happens, I just figure out a way, how do I get past this? I expect them to not help. I mean, there's a lot of people there at the protest today, I think believing, expecting a lot from the local, I don't expect anything from them. Haile is particularly angry about Oakland's failure to meet a deadline for the state's organized retail theft grant program. I think that they do not 
care, and I think that they should get more involved. If they're taking a salary, they should feel personal responsibility and obligation to the city and its residents. A number of neighboring Bay Area cities all qualified for the program. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Outside of California, more than a dozen people were arrested for looting in Philadelphia yesterday. They targeted clothing and sneaker shops, high-end stores, wine and spirit stores, and pharmacy. Video footage also shows several people ransacking an Apple store. Here to discuss is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, it seems we're seeing more and more cases of looting from businesses. And it's not just in Oakland and Philadelphia. How is this affecting businesses? Yeah, you know, Chris, uh, you're right about that. This is happening in so many places in the U.S. Uh, in fact, a wave of retailers, you know, both large and small, are saying uh, they're struggling to contain store crimes. And, you know, that's hurting their bottom, bottom lines, of course. And many stores have also closed or made uh, changes to merchandise and layouts. You know, I just want to take Target, for example, because uh, recently it's been impacted by crime. Uh, the retailer is closing nine stores in major cities across four states uh, because it's become unsustainable for their business. Let's just think about that. Um, they've said previously that it was uh, expecting to lose uh, somewhere around $500 million this year due to rising theft. So, you know, it's not a small problem for, for some stores. Wow, that's incredible. Is retail theft increasing or decreasing in recent years? You know, Chris, actually, it, it is going up. Um, and let me just give you uh, some numbers to give you an idea. Uh, so the National Retail Federation released uh, new figures on, on the state of retail theft recently. Um, so merchandise that went missing due to theft, fraud, damage, and other reasons, um, it has cost retailers $94 billion in 2021. And, and then in 2022, the losses were over $112 billion. So that's a difference of $18 billion. So Chris, it does seem to me like the situation is, is getting worse. And as you mentioned uh, just now, theft and looting is not just limited in Philadelphia and Oakland. We're seeing this in New York, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, and many other cities. What are retailers doing to protect their businesses? Well, um, we've already seen uh, some closing uh, their stores, and according to the National Retail Federation, retailers are also uh, boosting their use of preventative measures. Uh, you know, that's that's like hiring more uh, third-party security employees. Um, as well, some stores will just stop selling the items that are targets for theft. Uh, you know, it's a real problem, Chris. Uh, the NRF vice president says that retailers are seeing unprecedented levels of theft and rampant crime in their stores. And, and the situation is only becoming more dire. That's what he's saying as well. All right. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you, Chris. Google marks its 25th birthday today. What's behind the company's success? An emeritus adjunct professor at UC Berkeley says its ability to evolve and adapt is key. Yahoo, um, which was really the, the dominant search engine before they came along, but still used in some ways very conventional ways to organize the information they searched. They had people sitting there almost as sort of librarians working out what category this belonged to. And Google more or less said, we can do away with all that um, and that we can actually do it by algorithm. And so that was a transformation.
Google quickly gained widespread popularity and continues to be widely used in society today. People rely on Google for a multitude of tasks, such as checking the weather, discovering restaurants and making reservations, managing their schedules, writing college essays, shopping online, and of course, searching for information. The advertising that comes with those searches, though, is worrying to do good, along with other practices. As I said, they created this sort of almost philanthropic ethos that they're there for our good. But as we sort of look at them more and more and understand really much of what they're doing is for their good, and we are being manipulated to that end, I think it's a very worrying thing about technology. In some sense, the more successful they've been in the sort of philanthropic view is the more they're masking a highly manipulative and self-interested view. The CEO of Spotify says there are no immediate plans to ban the use of artificial intelligence in music on the streaming platform. And in particular, there are three buckets of AI. So one which is completely harmless, which is imagine tools that enables musicians uh, to just create better music by prompting. On the other side of the fence, uh, on the other extreme, you have uh, so-called deepfake AIs where uh, someone's impersonating uh, some famous uh, artist, etc. And our view is obviously uh, that is not positive. And we believe that, uh, say, something in the Drake Weekend case, that Drake and Weekend should be able to decide what kind of content they want to put out in the world, what they stand for. Earlier this year, controversy arose when AI was used to produce a song mimicking the voices of Drake and The Weeknd called Heart on My Sleeve. Spotify later removed the popular song. CEO Daniel Ek said he is against creators being able to monetize such AI songs, but he also said AI can allow more people to make art and music. He also described the use of auto-tune in the music industry as a positive application of AI. Auto-tune is a digital effect that can correct the voices of singers who sing out of tune or off-key. Spotify Technology announced on Monday that the company is testing an AI-powered feature that will translate podcasts to other languages. What is the value of ChatGPT maker OpenAI? It would be a good question for the chatbot, but markets may soon provide their own answer. Reuters sources say the startup is now talking to investors about a sale of existing shares. They could fetch a much higher price than just a few months ago. The Wall Street Journal says the deal could value the company at up to $90 billion. That would be three times the level seen earlier this year. And it would make OpenAI one of the world's most valuable private companies. The firm has soared in value amid global excitement over AI. Now the sale of existing shares would allow current investors to cash in on the value of their stake. It wouldn't raise new capital for OpenAI, but would provide a fresh benchmark for its value. The company raised $10 billion from Microsoft earlier in the year, which it's using to develop new products. President Biden is set to meet with his tech council in San Francisco today. An administration official says he's expected to preview a new artificial intelligence executive order. It will reportedly seize the opportunities and manage the risks posted by AI. Biden also plans to announce $100 million in new funding for health technology research while in the Bay Area. Biden is also scheduled to attend three campaign fundraisers. The FTC seems to be breaking precedent for decades. The Federal Trade Commission has put consumer interests at the heart of its activities, 
But under Chair Lena Khan, the commission seems to be taking a different path. Let's hear from Jessica Malusian from the Competitive Enterprise Institute about the FTC's antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. Jessica Malusian, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Jessica, explain this antitrust case against Amazon for us. So this is a long-awaited case out of the Federal Trade Commission. We've been waiting for it. Amazon has known about it for years now. Um, and what the government is basically alleging is that Amazon is acting as a monopolist in this space, and that is causing a lack of healthy competition in the marketplace. So they've gotten so big that they can extract abnormally high fees from their third-party sellers on their marketplace, and that leads to all kind of downstream problems for consumers. And explain what the possible outcome of this case could be if the FTC gets its way. Yeah, so I think this is where there's real reason for concern. Amazon is one of the most beloved companies in the United States. Uh, a huge amount of people subscribe to its prime service, and they're very happy with it. And if you look at what the remedies might be, if the government convinces a court that they're acting illegally, we're looking at a real degrading of those, surface, those services. So maybe it's a breakup, maybe it's Amazon having to spin off parts of its company. And the problem with that is so many of the benefits and the efficiencies of Amazon come because those services are integrated. So ironically, we could end up hurting consumers more than we're helping them. Now, antitrust law historically focused on protecting consumers' interests, but FTC Chair Lena Khan says the purpose of the suit is to, quote, restore the lost promise of free and fair competition. How will consumers be affected if the FTC wins here? Well, you've honed in on the most important point here. For the last 40 years, U.S. competition law has been about what's happening to the consumer. Are they better off or worse off? Are they paying more? Are they paying less? How's the innovation in products? How's the selection? And what we see with this new chair at the FTC is that she's shifted those priorities away to other more broad social goals. So she's looking to protect smaller competitors instead of consumers. She's looking for more fairness. But of course, the judge of what is fair and what isn't seems to just be by the hands of the FTC bureaucrats. And that's where we're concerned that um, at the end of all this, if the FTC wins, consumers are going to be worse off, not better off. Right. And what about Amazon and its biggest competitors like Walmart and Target? How will they be affected? Well, they might be the beneficiaries here. And that's particularly ironic with Walmart because Amazon's still not even big when you look at the total retail picture that Walmart controls. Amazon is a huge player online, but Walmart has those physical stores, those bricks and mortar stores are still, they dwarf Amazon. And Walmart's also stepped up their online game. So it would seem that this space is competitive and healthy. Shopify has also made gains. And what this would be more than anything, it would be the government kind of putting its finger on the scale and ironically helping one of the biggest companies in the world, Walmart, to gain even further advantage. I don't think that's what U.S. consumers are worried about at this point of high inflation and struggling to make ends meet. All right, Jessica Malusian, thank you again. Thank you so much. Hundreds of college students are scrambling right now after the Art Institute's announced it is closing its doors by the end of the month. The Art Institutes is a for-profit college with eight campuses around the country. They include four locations in Texas, as well as campuses in Atlanta, Miami, Tampa, and Virginia Beach. 
Officials say the Art Institute has suffered from low enrollment since the pandemic. Before that, in 2015, the school paid $95 million to settle fraud allegations and lost its accreditation. In 2018, the school closed nearly 20 other campuses. The Education Department says the Art Institute's closing will affect 1,700 students. Dozens of teachers will lose their jobs. Almost 50 children have been reported missing in Cleveland this month, which adds up to over 1,000 children reported missing in the city so far this year. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost says police can't keep up with the cases because of depleted resources. He says the state needs its residents to help. He told News 5 that some of the children are repeat runaways. There's a fourth arrest in the case of suspected fentanyl exposure at New York daycare. That exposure reportedly resulted in the death of a one-year-old child earlier this month. Police say authorities in Mexico arrested the husband of the woman who owns the daycare. In surveillance video from the daycare, a criminal complaint alleges the suspect is seen entering the daycare empty-handed before emergency personnel arrived. About two minutes later, he was seen leaving the center with two shopping bags, which authorities believe contained fentanyl. Three other people, including the daycare owner, have been arrested and are facing charges in the child's death. Three other children were hospitalized after suspected exposure. And a new finding, teenagers get more than 200 phone notifications a day, according to a new report. It says about a quarter of them come during school hours. The report is from Common Sense Media, a nonprofit that helps families navigate media. It shows some teens use their phones more than six hours when they're supposed to be learning. The researchers say some recognize the problems involved and are trying to cut back. More on the health of kids. The company Make Believe Ideas is recalling about 260,000 children's books, including Old MacDonald Had a Farm, due to a choking hazard for young kids. According to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the recall covers seven books under the Rainbow Road series board books. The plastic binding rings can detach from the books and cause a choking hazard. In addition to the roughly 260,000 books in the U.S., the recall also covers about 12,000 in Canada. The company got two reports of the plastic rings detaching in the U.S. and one in Australia. No injuries were reported. Coming up, over 100 people died after a raging fire ripped through a packed wedding hall in northern Iraq. We have the latest on the casualties. In a mass exodus, as thousands of Armenians flee their homes in the enclave of Azerbaijan, they say they are running away to survive. And the billionaire chairman of China's embattled developer Evergrande is now under police surveillance. We'll have the details soon when we return. Thanks for staying with us. And now some short headlines. Senator Marco Rubio is calling for the White House to expel Chinese communist-influenced operations. This comes on the tail of Ford halting construction of its electric vehicle plant in Michigan. CATL, the supplier of batteries that would go in Ford's EVs, received tens of billions in subsidies from the CCP. 
Rubio said Chinese EV battery companies shouldn't be allowed to operate in the U.S. or benefit from American subsidies. Goshen is another Chinese EV battery company with facilities going up in Michigan and Illinois. Michigan approved over $600 million in incentives for the Goshen and Ford CATL plants. Rubio said it's time for the White House to completely expel the influence operations from American soil. More news related to China. The chairman of Evergrande Group, the world's most heavily indebted property developer, is now under police supervision. According to Bloomberg, the man was taken away by police earlier this month and is being monitored as, at a designated location. The report further casts doubt on the company's future as liquidation looms. It's unclear why the billionaire was put under surveillance, and it doesn't mean he will be charged with a crime. Heading to Japan, the country is set to scrutinize Russia's potential seafood ban. Moscow announced yesterday it may join Beijing in banning Japanese seafood imports, citing the release of Fukushima wastewater into the ocean. Japan argues that the water is safe after being treated and diluted. Russia's food safety watchdog has asked Japan for information on radiological testing of fish products. Japan contends that China and Russia's criticism lacks scientific basis. Tens of thousands are fleeing their homes in Azerbaijan for Armenia. The region they lived in had broken from the central government until a military takeover last week. The Azeri president has promised there would be no further military action, but the exodus alone is causing a humanitarian crisis. An emotional moment for this Armenian father and his children, reuniting after fleeing their home in Nagorno-Karabakh on Tuesday. They're among thousands of ethnic Armenians who fled the breakaway enclave after Azerbaijan launched a lightning military takeover of Karabakh last week. Satellite images show a long line of traffic jamming the road out of Karabakh. Of the 120,000 ethnic Armenians who called the region home, some 28,000 had crossed into Armenia as of Tuesday evening, according to the country's government. Many who managed to cross the border described a difficult but necessary trek. This woman said it's the fourth war she's lived through and that her husband died in the first one. She said the journey was horrible, with children hungry and crying, but added they were all running away to survive. Others gave harrowing accounts of the war and many deaths, including civilians. Reuters was unable to independently verify accounts of the military operation inside Karabakh. Azerbaijan has said it targeted only Karabakh fighters. The U.S. State Department said Tuesday that Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with Azerbaijan President Ilham Aliyev about the situation. Uh, President Aliyev has said there will be no further military action, and we expect him to abide by that. Uh, he has also said that he would accept an observer mission, and we would expect him to abide by that. Washington also announced $11.5 million in humanitarian aid for the crisis in Karabakh. It is absolutely critical. Speaking in Armenia, U.S. Agency for International Development head Samantha Power urged Azerbaijan to maintain the ceasefire and clear the way for aid delivery. Meanwhile, the death toll from a fuel depot explosion and fire on Monday was in the dozens one day later, according to the Office of Karabakh's Ombudsman. More than 100 people remained missing and hundreds were injured, some critically. Video released by Russia's defense ministry showed its personnel bringing the injured to hospital.
Authorities have yet to explain a possible cause of the blast. The latest reports, latest reports say 50,000 50, people are fleeing their homes in Azerbaijan. Has Azerbaijan has a former separatist leader who tried to join the exodus. Azerbaijan said it arrested the former head of the separatist government as he tried to cross into Armenia now today. More updates from now more the updates from around the world. A fire, a fire in northern, northern Iraq, Iraq at, at a wedding party, a wedding left, party a left a death toll of over 100 and 150 injured. injured. The blaze broke, the blaze out, when broke out when fireworks during were lit during the celebration. Eyewitnesses said, witnesses the, said the building caught fire, caught fire at around 10.45 10 p.m. local time, time and, that hundreds, time, and that hundreds of people were in attendance Around 82 of those who lost their lives have been taken to the morgue, and 86 of the wounded have been rushed to hospitals. Firefighters battled the blaze as civil defense teams searched for survivors. Preliminary findings suggest the building's highly flammable materials added to the fire. And in a twist of events, Russia's Black Sea Fleet commander, Admiral Viktor Sokolov, does appear to be alive, although it's still uncertain. That's after Ukraine claimed he was among the officers killed in an attack. A video was posted today on a news channel linked to the Russian Defense Ministry. Sokolov was shown speaking to journalists about fleet operations, but made no mention of the attack. It isn't clear when the video was recorded. Earlier in the Kremlin released another video of Sokolov on a conference call. Ukraine is now striving to verify its own claim. A new member of the U.S. visa waiver program starting November 30th, Israelis will be able to travel to the United States without a visa for up to 90 days. To secure the agreement, Israel adopted U.S. airport security standards and imposed stricter passports requirements on the new immigrants. Still to come, an Italian luxury scooter brand offers a distinctive way to roam the country's historical capital. We have more on Vespa, the symbol of Rome. And a hilarious chase in Arkansas. Find out how a police officer brought a runaway chicken home safely. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Back to the news. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Senator Bob Menendez and his wife pleaded not guilty to corruption charges. The congressman appeared in court today amid growing calls for his resignation from fellow Democrats. The U.S. took custody of Travis King from North Korea. The handover took place in China. The U.S. soldier was held in North Korea after crossing its border two months ago. Dr. Anthony Fauci is accused of visiting CIA headquarters to influence the COVID-19 origin investigation. Congressman Brad Wenstrup is bringing the allegations. He says evidence is growing that federal government officials covered up the origins of COVID-19. The Mexican government says it'll deport immigrants currently in towns along the U.S.-Mexico border. The plan is to send the immigrants back to various Latin American countries. It's not clear when deportations will start. In the heart of Rome, a city where history echoes at every corner, one thing truly captures the spirit of this eternal place. The Vespa. It's not just a way to get around, it's a symbol of Rome's soul, drawing people from around the world to experience its enduring charm.
For many, a Vespa is not just a way to get around town. The stylish scooters have become an ambassador of Italian style, a symbol of Rome. My passion for the Vespa stems from a love of everything that tells a story. Giuseppina Serra is the first woman ever to tour Spain on a vintage gear-driven Vespa. Her journey was not only a personal odyssey, but a testament to the resilience of women in the world of adventure travel. The Vespa is a woman and therefore she travels with the woman. There are many of us. I'm certainly not the only one, but not everyone has the strength to go a little further. People often ask me if I'm crazy and wonder how I could have traveled 7,000 kilometers. My answer is always, I sit down and hit the gas, and she takes care of the rest. The first Vespers were produced by the Piaggio company in 1946, after the Second World War, when Italy had its aircraft industry severely restricted. Piaggio turned its former expertise from making fighter planes into constructing the Vespa. The name Vespa means wasp in Italian and is a nod to the noise the engine makes. Since then, the scooter has given millions of Italians their freedom, providing cheap transportation. And it continues to draw people from around the world to experience its enduring charm. Jeff Smith and Preston Petrosi, tourists from Texas, took part in a Vespa tour of Rome. And the Vespa is a beautiful machine. Look at this machine. Well, the Vespa tour was something that I was very interested in, in, in coming on. Uh, and so when I arrived here in Rome, we booked it actually <clears throat> a month in advance. And in booking that, um, the highlight was to go down the cobblestone streets, to fill the bumps, to fill the locals, and uh, to have that experience of, of what Italy is about. It's an icon because it tells the past. Because when I stop to talk with someone or when I take a coffee, I always meet someone who says, my grandfather had a Vespa, or my father had a Vespa. The Vespa is part of each of us. Now for an episode of Strong Mind and Body. We look out how having a healthy night can give you a healthy figure. Here's NTD's Gina Marie. Forget running miles or starving yourself skinny. The key to unleashing your body's full fat burning potential may be enhancing sleep quality. Here are three tips you can employ before bedtime to sustain your weight loss efforts. Number one, don't eat in the dark. If you want to lose weight, research suggests stop eating a few hours before bedtime. Researchers have found that late eating increased hunger and altered appetite-regulating hormones. When combined, these changes were predicted to increase the risk of obesity. Eat your final meal of the day at least three hours prior to going to bed. This is an easy and powerful way to reduce insulin resistance and shrink your waistline. Number two, keep your room cool. Some research suggests that sleeping in a cool room may activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Sometimes called the rest and digest system, it regulates functions like digestion and metabolism. This helps with fat burning. According to research, parasympathetic activity is switched on when we put ourselves in cool environments. 
According to a 2014 study, lowering the room temp to 66 Fahrenheit may lead to burning additional calories overnight. This is because the body works harder to maintain its core temperature. Number three, reduce stress before bed. Entering a relaxed parasympathetic state before bed may help you to sleep. One proposed way is to avoid emotionally charged conversations in the evening hours. Cortisol is the body's stress hormone, and this can promote fat storage when elevated. During sleep, cortisol levels naturally decrease, halting this fat storing effect. High cortisol signals your body to store more energy to power you through the day. This results in greater fat retention. Another way to relax before bed is comedy. Getting into a parasympathetic state means not watching TV before bed, but most people do. If you must, then watch a stand-up comedian. President Biden's dog is apparently not such a good boy. Commander bit a Secret Service agent at the White House Monday evening, the 11th known biting incident involving the two-year-old German Shepherd. Secret Service officials say the injured officer is doing okay. White House officials said in July that the Bidens were working through new training and leashing protocols for the family pet following the previous incidents. It's unclear if that has started yet. Another of the Biden's dogs, Major, was involved in biting incidents at the White House. The German Shepherd later moved out of the White House. Why did the chicken cross the road? Maybe to run from the cops. This body cam video is from Jonesboro, Arkansas, an hour from Memphis. It shows Officer Nathan Swindle chasing down a chicken after a resident's complaint about the bird. He's a new academy grad, so that's his training officer with him. The police department says the officers returned the chicken to its home safely. In the video, Swindle jokes that this was his first foot chase, or maybe it was a claw chase. And that's all for the news. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.